You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Hey, everybody. It is Wednesday evening. Time for some American Whiner. How's everybody doing? My name is Alex. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My guest tonight joining us from all the way across the country, the West Coast, uh, Mr. Daniel Barnett, horror author, uh, Waddy's 2018 winner. That's the uh, awards they give out on Wattpad uh, for his, uh, his, his novel, Poor Things. Daniel, how you doing? Doing all right. How about yourself? I'm great, man. I'm great. Thanks for asking. Um, yeah, I start off these interviews uh, every time with the exact same question. Start at the very beginning. That question is, where were you, where were you born? All right. I was born in a place called Fontana down in Southern California. Grew up in Phelan. Nobody's ever heard of it. I have not heard of either of those places. Yes. Uh, so you, you, you grew up uh, primarily in California then. Is that whereabouts is that in Southern California? Is that San Diego, LA? Like what's the general area? Uh, it's, it's an, it's an I-15 town. So it exists because of the freeway largely. Uh. I, would, I would guess. So it's in the desert, uh, high desert on the way to Vegas, about three hours out from Vegas in the southern, middle of Southern California. Uh, it's a Songs for the yeah, Deaf Town. I got you. The uh, yeah. Queens <laughs> very, of the Stone. Very spread out. Yeah. Um, so uh, you said you, you grew up there. Um, that was your, your primary uh, uh, living space from, from how, for how long? When did you uh, finally leave that place? So I lived there um, or like thereabouts. Uh, my lived with my mom in Victorville, which is a nearby town. More people have heard of Victorville; it's a little bigger. And split time with my dad and feeling growing up. Went to school all in feeling. All the schools were out there. And then when I graduated high school, I moved to Boston and went to school there for what? a BU. Wow, was that, there for a while after that. That we'll we'll talk about that because that must have been one hell of a shock growing up in the desert and then going all the way. It's about as far away as you can possibly go. Uh, yeah, definitely. So, um, but tell me about uh, growing up, uh, you know, in in the desert on on these towns that only exist because of uh, because of the highway. What were you into, and what did you spend your time doing? Uh, well, I you know I was I was definitely a bookish kid. I spent a lot of time. I was an I was an only child too, so that was the other thing. So I was an oh, awkward man. kid growing up. I spent a lot of time reading. Um, wasn't until probably about high school that I, like the end of middle school, that I started you know, actively engaging and trying to be a person who could socialize <laughs> for my own sanity. <laughs> you made it that far, <laughs> huh? All the yeah, way to yeah. middle school. <laughs> I decided that was probably an important skill set to try to learn, and I didn't have any brothers or sisters to you know help me out along the way. So I kind of had to sit back and watch what everybody else was doing and figure out not how to stand out in the wrong way. <laughs> and how did how did that go? You know, slowly, but uh, <laughs> all right, I, you know, I, all right. I think by the end of high school, I was in a pretty good place. I think you know, take it one step at a time with stuff like that, like with anything else. I ran track, I ran cross country, both of which not very well, but it was fun, you know, things like that. Um, a, lot of, a lot of individual activities mixed in there, too, definitely. Mm-hmm. That was, was my lifestyle growing up, for sure. You know, we didn't have, you know, too many places where you go hang out, a lot of, a lot of empty dirt spaces and feelings. Yeah, yeah. Was there a lot of skateboarding? Imagine all that flat space, there's skateboarding. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely a definitely a good collection of 
kids who did that growing up. I had one little brief foray into trying to skateboard when I was maybe in early middle school. I won one at some 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 event at school, and some uh, lady. I think it was either I think I don't actually think it was a lady, but it was uh it was a drunk man whose lady later covered for him to cover up the fact that he'd been driving, I think, uh intentionally ran it over oh, <laughs> shit. the road. And that was the that was the end of my skateboarding days. I wasn't very good at it anyway. Oh my god. That is one hell of a uh that's one hell of an end to the skate to the potential skateboarding uh hobby. Um Yeah. Well, what uh, what did your parents do for a living? You said you split your time between living with your mom and living with your dad. What did, what were their jobs? My mom was a teacher. Uh, she worked at the elementary school, Baldy Mesa in Phelan. My dad, he did, you know, little bits here and there. He did some, uh, I don't know, like IT kind of contract work for the government. He would drive down to Barstow every morning at like four in the morning for you know, pretty much my entire time growing up. And it was like one hell of a drive to get out there and do that. And then I have a stepmom who was also a teacher, but at the middle school in the same town. So I definitely come from like a family of teachers. Yeah. What, sure. what, uh, did, was your mom being a teacher? Like what kind of an effect did that have on you as far as your own elementary schooling? Did she expect more out of you or did she not really treat you much different or than the other kids? Uh, a bit here and there. I mean, my mom, was you know like about as supportive as you could ever hope for and also about as single-minded in terms of you know like the pathway to success that you could ever hope for too so I was definitely grown up with like a lot of academic focus you know a lot of courage to read although there were times where she had to come take the book away from me and make me try to play with other kids when mm -hmm. I was in elementary like <laughs> 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 you need to do this now Daniel you can read later but uh yeah, no, so, yeah, she was a good lady, and I would say that she, I, I didn't have her as a teacher, you know, just trying to be, like, a respectful distance. Right, right. And that kind of dynamic, but uh, definitely family teachers. Well, what did, uh, what what were you reading? What kind of books would she have to come take away from you in order to get you to socialize? I think that one was The Hobbit. Oh, if I remember okay. right, like, the specific one, yeah, that one. I I got into an elementary. I got into a Hardy Boys kick. I pretty much read one of those a day for about a year and a half straight. Uh, where the red Where the red fern grows was another one that used to just ruin me in the most wonderful way. Read that one a couple times. The Yearling, I think, was another. And I also had uh, I got into like a kick of like trying to challenge myself with reading stuff that was like I couldn't quite grasp at that age. So in third grade, I I read Oliver Twist, and I read Great Expectations in fourth grade. I can't really remember much beyond that. I read pretty much anything I could get my hands on that you know people would let me read. Harry Potter, of course. Right, right. Huge. That's so funny that you I mentioned uh, Where the Red Fern Grows and The Hobbit. I read both of those in seventh grade. They were both part of the seventh grade curriculum that I went to. That's awesome. Those, and you're right. The red, Wonderful. where the red fern grows. Like I couldn't sleep uh, for for a while after reading that one. And I lo I loved the Hobbit though. The Hobbit was like this whole. Yeah. It was. I'll never forget the 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 intro because the teacher would post like maps of Middle Earth and she had all these Smaug drawings and things and it was just it was like this is the greatest fucking story ever and why have I not heard of it until now? Where has it been these past twelve years? Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. 
Uh, so, um, what kind of a student were you then? No, uh, focus for sure. I, I mean, I was, I was a pretty single-minded kind of goal-oriented kid, maybe even to a fault at the time. I learned to loosen up by the end of high school. I learned to loosen up a little bit, but I, uh, I definitely had like a strong focus on the academic front, you know? Uh, so were you like an A student then or were you just solid or? Oh yeah, I was, I was straight A's until college. And when I, when I got to college, I stopped like giving quite the same amount of a shit, but (laughs) you know, I, I, I went, kind of became more, a little bit more balanced. I'd say probably by the time college rolled around, Uh cared about other things than, you know, being a high achiever or whatever. But, uh, yeah, that was that was kind of the you know the, kind of the wheelhouse that I got. Well, what did what, what what were they like? Because I mean, when high achieving students usually have get attention from like you know administration and things, and they, and they they tend to be like, okay, what do you want to do with these with these high grades with these straight A's? Did did that happen to you? And if so, what were they pushing you to do, or what were you interested in? Like, what did you want to do with with this uh, this report card that you were getting? this record that you were accumulating? You know, I, that's a good question. I mean, you get like encouragement bordering on, uh, pressure. Like when you're in that kind of position, I got caught up in the in high school in like the valedictorian race. And that was actually, like, I was actually valedictorian uh, when it came time to it. So I had to give, you know, the whole speech and everything. Mm-hmm. We had a pretty big class. I think we had like, 400 and something kids in our class um so that was a terrifying experience like, yeah what, for all their families and stuff what'd you talk about do you remember oh i did uh my speech because i kind of decided that you know everybody tries to do the serious speech too much I mean, we got plenty of like serious speeches from people who haven't even really into the real world yet i did what a graduation with a stephen king novel so I wrote a couple little, like, tiny little short what-if scenarios, um, one of them involving all the teachers getting rabies and, like, attacking all the students during graduation, <laughs> and, yeah, I just kind of had fun with it, you know, kind of name drops and friends and stuff like that. How'd it go over? Too much. <laughs> <laughs> it went well. It went well. I think people had a good time. I remember one of my, the, the fun thing about it, where one of the funniest things looking back on it was, and this teacher, uh, Mrs. Wally, my psychology teacher, and before, you know, they had us all on a line. And if you were, you know, one of like the people kind of giving like a part of the graduation ceremony, uh, you're up near the front. And I looked at her beforehand. I was, I was nervous that stage fright. And I said, Miss Wally, I'm scared. <laughs> and she slapped me. Slap me across the face. What? Oh my god! <laughs> and then turned to Morgan Michaels, uh, the school president, um, another you know nice, a nice friend of mine. And she turned to her and she said, "If he starts talking stupid like again or whatever, you slap him again or whatever." It was it was pretty oh funny. Oh my I god! That. And then she said, "I've been waiting. <laughs> I've been waiting four years to do that." <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Finally, an excuse. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, was she smacking more more than more than just you, or was it were you you the only one who got smacked? As far as I know, it was a special occasion. Dude, the the one thing I remember about my graduation ceremony is when my name got announced. I'll never forget the the 
the girl announcing my name. I was looking her right in the eye as she said this. Uh, she said Alexandra, and it echoes <laughs> out over the thing, and I was like, I'll never get that moment back. Thanks. And she knew exactly what she was doing, too. I don't know why she did that, but I hope I hope it was funny. Um, yeah, she stole it from you. Maybe she had the crush on you or something, you know, had to, like – Hit you in the ribs a little bit. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go with that explanation. That's that's a good one. It's comforting, right? Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll go with that one. So so you got smacked in the face, and I uh, I got I got my name misgendered. Um, but uh, but yeah. So uh, so after you graduated, you you went to Boston. So how did you make that decision? Like how? Cause, I mean, that was already in the works, obviously. Um, why Boston? And 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 you know. How did you, how, what was getting in like and all that kind of stuff? A couple little things on that front. I mean, on one hand, you had a, there was an expectation I felt like to do something um, from like the, the school body, you know, like I got had a lot of friends by, by the end of high school um, and, you know, teachers and all that. So, you know, you had this expectation to like to do something I, I, I just felt like a little bit of an expectation to, you know, go somewhere and do something. And, but like in a practical sense, um, although there wasn't too much practical about it in retrospect, you know, there's a lot of money, but, uh, and I'm still paying off like lots of college loans for, oh, yeah. <laughs> tell you that much. You're a millennial. But, Me too. <laughs> yeah, 27 months left. I'm counting down the days. <laughs> but I, uh, I will say this, EU offered me, a more generous amount to go there towards the total sum than a lot of Cal- like a lot of California schools did. So it really kind of ended up to be about even. I wanted the opportunity to just kind of be far away from home and get to know myself as, you know, like a like a young adult person. And I the final little contributing factor, I think it's maybe like it's easy to forget over the years is we were visiting schools, me and my mom, and we, when we landed in Boston, there was pieces of our wing falling off the plane. Um, so kind of had this mounting uh, feeling of horror on that particular plane ride, you know, not knowing how that was going to go. Yeah, Jesus um, Christ. And, I mean, like, I'm not trying to oversell it here. There were small pieces, but, you know, the, we, we, told, we told the stewardess and there were pictures taken and, um, the way they kind of like bustled back and forth, like relaying messages to the captain and another pilot was on the plane who, you know, he, he was somebody who like was off duty, but he came over to check on it and the way they all kind of like, they were all concerned. But then as soon as we landed, they, they downplayed the situation, um, immediately for damage control, I think right for us. And so like, like long story short, I get off the plane and, um, it's just really glad to, you know, like be able to kiss the ground again a little bit. And so I fell in love with Boston. I think I would have fallen in love with anywhere probably at that point. Yeah. Well, and then, cause he also got to be thinking like, fuck, I got to get on one of those to go back to California. <laughs> exactly. How, and, and plus that's not a short flight either. That's like, I mean, it's four hours from Detroit to LA. So, I mean, I can't imagine Boston to, to the LA area. Uh, yeah, it's long, but, um, so what, I mean, what was it like? What did you, you said you fell in love with Boston. I mean, just, just the weather alone must've been a shock for you though. Like, I mean, what did, what was it like? What, what did you do? What did oh, you spend your time doing? Weather was horrifying. <laughs> um, it was horrifying for like my, 
untempered like Southern California like skin. Yeah. But um, <laughs> it was uh, it was a good time. I mean, college is an interesting experience no matter where you go. You know, living in dorms, getting to know like like people from all over and stuff like that. That was all. It was all a big part of the experience. What did you go for? A lot of good times. I went. Through, I went. I went for psychology. Oh. And I think the smartest thing I did was I applied, you know, my AP credits from high school toward um, graduating a year early. And I saved myself a lot of money in that regard, which is pretty vital, especially considering I didn't end up using the degree when it was all said and done. So. Right. Well, uh, why psychology? You know, I think like a lot of a lot of kids at that time, I didn't really know what I wanted from a career path. I knew that like writing was a big goal of mine that I wanted to pursue at that point in time. Um, but I also knew that I needed to go to school because otherwise it was like, why work so hard in high school? And uh, yeah, so I, I psychology, I, you know, I, I liked it. I mean, I became, you know, like this is the most like cliche thing you can say as a horror writer but you know i got into the horror writing because of stephen king and it was his characters and like the way he explored them on a on a psychological level you know taking normal people and throwing them into extraordinary circumstances that really fascinated me so mm-hmm. psychology mm-hmm. felt like the truest thing toward where my passions lie like uh at the time and so that was that was probably really the big reason but you graduated, so you graduated a year early then. So you were there three years? Yeah, I was there three years. And then got a job and all that. Yeah, well, you said, though, you didn't, you ended up not using the degree. So why didn't you use the, the, the uh, degree? And then what did you end up doing instead? Well, some of that, I think, you know, you can look at the time period. Like, I, some of that goes to the time period, which was I started college right in 2008. So that was right when, you know, you had the whole kind of economy collapse. Right. And I, I exited college. I remember my first roommate, as I was kind of hitting the ground floor looking for jobs, was somebody who had just been laid off. And I think this poor woman who had a degree spent four or five months sending out just like hundreds of resumes before she got something in line with their career path. And... All, so that was a like a contributing factor, like just knowing that there wasn't really anything out there for an entry level young person because all of the people with experience were getting laid off and flooding the job market again at that time. Yeah, or yeah. Like, to quite a big extent. And the second factor was I really wanted to give the writing thing a go, so I wanted to try to find a job that I could um, balance with work and like make hours like create time for myself to be able to write books, which is what I really wanted to do. So I got into the restaurant industry, like a lot of people, you know, do. Right. So you were, uh, were you a server or are you cooking or what were you, what were you doing? I uh, started off on, I mean, I've always, I, I stayed front of the house because the goal was to become a server. I knew that that was the best balance of um, time spent in the building versus like money to take home. If you could get there. And I didn't have any, like, cooking skills either, you know, to work off of. So I started off on the ground floor in the front of the house, worked at a couple, you know, got a lot of, like, quick jolts of life experience. Um, 
you know, first place I worked stole money from me. Second place I worked was run by a a, a relatively um, sleazy individual, you could say. Huh. So <laughs> all sorts of like little like dynamics, like got to be, yeah, figuring out. And eventually, you know, moved to the place where I was serving, and that was fun. And now I'm like grounded as a server. I don't have to, you know, do the other stuff anymore because I've been in the industry for 10 years. So you're still doing it then? Yeah, you know, hopefully not for uh, not for forever. I couldn't do it for forever. But right now it is uh, the only feasible way for me to keep up with my student loan payments and also continue to pursue my goals uh, with writing. So until the student loan stuff is done and I have this opportunity to actually like you know, save up a little bit more money, uh, there's there's really not too much option as far as that's concerned. I'd fall behind quickly if I if I let go of this industry. Mm-hmm. Where are you? What kind of? Because you're out in Portland now, aren't you? I am. Yeah. So when did you move to Portland? I moved to Portland in uh, 2014. Um, like Boston had run its course for me for just like a little bit. I I loved the city, but I couldn't do the winter anymore. And the place I was working at at the time was closing. I, my lease was like expiring. Just a couple things happened, and I was like, "Let's try somewhere new." So I moved out west. Well, my family's out west. Made sense. Huh. Well, uh, so yeah. that's where you're at now. Um, you're you what what kind of a restaurant are you working in now? I am working at a place called uh, Raven and Rose. It is downtown Portland. You know, a little bit of swank to it, like craft cocktails, that kind of thing. You know? All right. Well, um, um, fine, di- fine dining ish. <laughs> so it sounds, yeah. So Portland then you, it sounds like you've acclimated quite well then. Um, I do, do my best. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about writing. Uh, when did you first start writing? Yeah. So I, I started writing, uh, it would have been the end of junior year in high school. I, and spent so much so like so much time reading and then i read um the, the stand when i was in middle school and it just completely fucked me up i mean like like no joke i had i tried to hide it from myself a couple times kept finding it and finally finished it and then i put Stephen king down for a couple years but in high school i hit i found it and i you know picked it up and it was during it was when I was reading it that it like, like the thought really kind of first occurred to me that like it was something that I could try and that I wanted to try. It was always felt like there was a wall between, um, like the book and like the process of writing a book that like I just kind of didn't even consider that I could maybe try, you know? Yeah. Dude, what is it with it and, horror writers because it was the book I read that in middle school and that made me want to write. I had another horror author on uh, a couple weeks ago. It was the book that made him want to write. And now you, it's not just Stephen King. It's specifically it. And I've always wondered what the hell is it about it? Why that book? And and here's what I think it's because um, it's so huge but it's it goes down so smooth because it's organized so well, and his 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 yeah. voice is so well so accessible and so well organized, 
And like you said, the psycho- psychological aspects of the, the story and the way he digs in. One thing I love about Stephen King is his character development and the way he'll like be telling the story and he'll set something up where he'll be like, when Beverly was 11, she remembered this happening to her. And then that will come into play at some point, you know, later on in the story. Uh, he does that really well. I'd say he does that better than anybody else I can think of. And I think the reason he, cause he was such a, um, he was so self-taught. He just did it until he, he just did it over and over and over again until he got good at it. And quite often yeah. self-taught people like that are the, are better than ones that were trained because they know exactly what works for them. Um, Intuitively. exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, what do you think about that? What was it about that book? Why that one that made you, especially after the stand, like you said, fucked you up. But then it was the one where you start. You actually thought to yourself, "I could do this. I want to try and do this." Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny because the stand is actually my favorite Stephen King novel. Um, now, I guess as an adult, uh, particularly the original version, which is a whole other can of worms that I, I won't get into right now. <laughs> well, but, I, I, I do want to ask you. I, well, you can answer the it question first, but I do want to ask you about the stand. So we'll get to that after you answer okay, this one. Yeah. Well, I look, yeah, I look forward to that one. That was great, but. Um, I think for it, there's, there's a couple factors. And I think one of those is, as you said, like, just the, the sheer ambition of it. Um, all of that stuff, and like how concisely and clearly it reads. I say concisely, kind of loosely. I know some people think it drags on. Um, but for me, I think what, what what's special about it that really kind of makes writers, like, turn somebody into an aspiring writer is it's kind of central conceit surrounding um, magic and like not in a, you know, a sentimental way, um, but like just that simple kind of childhood magic of like the imagination. It is at its core. I think the book very, very like imagination is a pivotal part of it because you have, constantly this juxtaposition presented through the book about what it is to be a child versus what it is to be an adult and what that means to like things that scare you and things that can affect you and um, even memory surrounding all that stuff, the things that they forget, the losers club. And I think that book, reading that book is kind of like, you know, feeling a bit of a reawakening of magic inside you and just kind of the the potential of something like that. And that's kind of what writing is. Um, I I don't remember the exact quote, but, you know, like magic is fiction is the truth inside the lie. And the the truth is that the magic is real or something along those lines is the the to that book. Right. And I think, I think that kind of sums it up for me. That's my answer. Yeah, well, the, the the thing is with the it's like it's so expansive, it's so huge, and yet I don't feel like there's a page wasted in it. Like, there's never a point for the, for me anyway where I was reading it where I was like, he should have cut this part. Like, this is slow right here. Yeah, it's like even there's a whole section that deals with a character who's not even part. There's multiple sections that deal with characters, POV characters that are not main characters. There's the Patrick Hockstetter section. There's the section yeah. where he de- that he dedicates to just one of the kids who disappeared. And I could just see if that had been his first novel, they would have told him to cut all that. They would have been like, "This isn't yeah. essential to the story. Sure. This is this is this is fat right here. You need to cut it." And but without it, the book loses literally weight. 
it that 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 whole thing with Eddie Corker and uh, finding out how the kid disappeared, just one of the, the of uh, its first victims. Um, that whole section is fucking terrifying. I will never forget reading that. Um, where he's he's in yeah. the canal and his brother comes out of the canal and and is grabbing at him and it, it's just it's so well done. Yeah, it's great. I I read a really interesting article. Um, it was kind of talking about the movie, the, the the recent movie and what makes the book special and something that people like overlook. And uh, or like like that was their you know opinion that people commonly overlook this. And there's a section in it that deals with and it's seeming kind of it's seemingly tangential and like not relevant to the story but it deals with a um young black man in the military facing all terrible kinds of prejudice and it just kind of like just the whole kind of that that side of the military encampment um and the racial divide and i think like what makes it terrifying as a book isn't just like the clary, the scary clown antics or anything of that nature. It is truly an exploration of, of evil. And that's something that the movies, I think both of them have failed to like adequately grasp. It's not just, it doesn't just represent like that quick, easy scare of like, Oh, clowns are scary or, Oh, the creature from the black lagoon is scary or the mummy is scary or the werewolf is scary. It's, What's scary is, you know, the the evil that people hold in their hearts, the, the prejudices, and right. how it like influenced all of that in this town, nurtured it. This whole town became a place of that, but it didn't really need to because it was already there. And that was what was like so terrifying and special about that book. Yeah, and and the movies like they just they try like it's not just a line. Like the movies, the the first movie and then the uh, the 1991, they say like, oh, it is the town, I think is the way that they kind of explain that. And it's – I don't really know how you do that in, in visual – in a visual medium. In a book, it's easy because you're you're in the characters' heads and there's a narrator, an omniscient narrator that can tell you straight up or show you this is this is what's going on. Like you mentioned the, the, the fire at the black spot is the section that you're talking about yeah. where Mike Hanlon's – I think it's his dad – uh, talks about mm-hmm. and um, but it's really because Stephen King is so good at this too, where he like he'll have this horrible, like you said, it's just people doing evil people things, and then other people ignoring that and allowing it to happen. Um, but then he'll yeah. have this clown that's like leaning out the window, participating in the massacre of this of this of this gang, you know, that's happening in the and street, nobody notices. and nobody yeah, notices or, it. Or yeah, people notice, but it seems normal almost, or or you know. It blends into the it's kind of almost a it almost becomes what's the word I'm looking for like a physical metaphor of for the violence and the absurdity of all of it yeah yeah it's everything well it's and, and it's, I mean we're, we're kind of getting off on a tangent here now but I mean this is I, I completely I completely <laughs> agree with you but this is a great tangent to go on I, I actually did a whole podcast once on just on it uh, so um so yeah, but uh, I did want to ask you because you said the stand is your favorite book. Two things: why do you like the stand? Why that one? And then what did you think of the ending? Because I read the, I think the one that I read is the extended. I didn't read the uh, the one mm-hmm. that got cut, I, so I don't know how different it is. But the ending in that, I thought I was kind of, I felt kind of ripped off. I'm not gonna lie. Like I was like, I didn't want to kick the book across the room, but I was like, that's it. Like they just, that's it. They just all die. Without, I mean, spoiler alert. But you know, I don't think anybody's 
who's listening to this is going to, going to be too upset about that. Um, but so, I mean, yeah, what do you think? Like, what were your thoughts on that? And then we'll move on. I'm not going to be coy about spoilers either. Um, (laughs) just as a heads up to anybody listening, but, uh, this is, this is definitely something I could spend an hour talking about easily myself. So I'll try to keep this part of it as brief as possible. I'll say that the original has grown on me for a whole, like for a whole variety of reasons. And I think that the original at its original length, which was three, 400 pages shorter than the uncut version reads every bit as just lean and mean as his, uh, you know, books like misery or Firestarter or the shining and that like focus on the central pacing. But also there's the, there's the fact that the uncut version isn't just, the what he originally intended like for this authorial intent the uncut version also represents a change in where he was at the time because he rewrote it to be a 90s book uh, that's right to being a 70s book and the book is a 70s book like this whole central i mean it's just like rife with this like post-war like post-cold war fear all the weapons lying around unchecked all of that stuff going on and so, and I also, I'm going to go ahead and cut myself off from this tangent. Um, we can explore that more later if we have time. I think that what makes The Stand such a special book for me, um, especially on revisiting it, is the characters in that book are so complete, so well realized that when I first read it even, I found myself for months afterward, like, you know, just like a pop into my thought, like, like pop into my head. I thought like, how's Stu doing? <laughs> they all felt so regular. You know, they all felt so real to me. Uh, so that was a thing. As far as the ending is concerned, I, I admire it through and through. I know why people are disappointed with the lack of like a visceral climax with Randall Flagg, but I would argue that I think people are missing a little bit of like, like I think a lot of people are missing the, um, what really is at the heart of that book when it comes to that, like it wasn't an, it wasn't immediately like exciting or engaging. There was no physical confrontation there. It was, I, I see a lot of people give the book flax because of what they perceive as a deus ex machina. And in a way it is actually really true. You know, the hand of God appears in the sky. Right. Right. To, to detonate this new. <laughs> but there's a couple things at play there. One is, they went on a, like, the stand is an allegory. You know, it's a literal, like, practically a new chapter, like a fictional chapter in, like, Old Testament style. And the cast of, like, few of the main characters are asked to embark on a pilgrimage of faith, you know, on foot. And they do. So it's presumed that that will be rewarded, like, their show of faith will be rewarded against the character that represents the Antichrist, you know, Randall's flag. So on that one side, it's not a passive climax. It's their, and in a literal sense, it's their decision to walk to Las Vegas and then summarily get, um, like the whole city gets brought together to watch their execution that groups everyone together in that one place. And then also you have Randall flag goals of like seeking out those weapons. It's his own almost self-destructive nature. Uh, 
that causes Trash Can Man to bring that nuclear bomb into a position. So there's all these puzzle pieces that aren't just related to, you know, a higher power. It's not all, those all things are characters making choices. And then really it's just God just provides in this context of this book, just provides the spark. And I think it's incredibly, (laughs) I just, I, I love the hell out of it because he did write a deus ex machina, but he wrote a literal deus ex machina. And it's, in my opinion, the only time in which it paradoxically isn't one, because that's what the whole book is kind of about. Well, man, leading you, up to is that moment. You just <laughs> made me like I got to reread that now, and I have to read the 1970s, the the original one. I have it, um, and I got I got to yeah, go back and give that another try. Uh, and you know what, what else, man? And I'd say this for it too: if they want to adapt them right, they need to do it HBO miniseries or a Netflix miniseries or something, and give it dedicate the time to, to each, to the intricacies of each of those stories. You could do it like, like Chernobyl that was just on Chernobyl was brilliant. And, uh, and and it could be, if it was like Chernobyl, that would do justice. Cause the movies so far, they tried, there's just too much to cram in to even two movies. I I think it's, you end up up like just missing like central aspects of what makes like all the dynamics within the story really so special when you try to do it in such a short time frame definitely it's like i mean the final season of game of thrones that's what you get when you try to cram it all in so it it, it, that's exactly what happens um (laughs) trebuchets on the front line that made a lot of sense. yeah (laughs) (laughs) let's charge our cavalry into the darkness yes um so uh back to you man uh let's uh let's talk about um so you started writing when in uh after junior year you read it and you just wanted to go um like, did you start, what was your ambition at first? Did you have a plan or were you, were you just like, I'm going to write a bunch of short stories first. I'm going to write some poetry. I'm going to start small, build my way up to novels. Or did you just dive right in and say, this is the, this is what I want to do. These are the stories I want to tell. And it doesn't matter how they come out. I, I read, I wrote a couple short stories, but I quickly dove into like my first and like just so terrible novel. Um, <laughs> my goal was like, at that point in time, I don't think I had quite, decided that like it was going to be like a like I was going to try to make a career out of it or like I don't know if that hope was fully formed yet but um at the time really I just I wanted to write something that would make me feel or would make maybe have the chance of making somebody feel like one tenth of what I felt like one fraction of what I felt when I read you know it or something along those lines just like that it just it just kind of like clicked that like i i wanted to i just wanted to try that you know mm-hmm. and uh, affect somebody or like whatever in the way that i was affected so deeply it was i mean it was night and day you know before and after that book for me and if i could accomplish that that felt like you know i'd have accomplished a lot certainly um so i went on to you know i wrote a couple terrible books um one before college one during college and then after college I kind of like buckled in a little bit for a while and I I wrote my first book that I ended up publishing The Safe and um not until not until actually I moved to Portland it did quite a bit of revising but yeah I just I I tried to build a schedule for myself where I could wake up and you know focus on the ritual of writing every day and then eventually go to work on the latter half of the day and then kind of rinse and repeat and what happened 
Got to be serious about it. Uh, excuse me, and is that your process now too? You just you write in the morning, you work in the evening. Yeah, it's the same story. Um, pretty much, I I'm not a fast writer by any means, and I'm also pretty meticulous to maybe largely you know fault perhaps, but uh, I which is which is just to say that. I'm not always writing something new every day because the process of revising something is very involved for me, for sure. I could easily spend a couple months, you know, going piece by piece through a work and trying to get it where I want it to be. Well, do you have, besides Stephen King, do you have any other influences that, that like made you, like you said, you're like, I want to do a, be able to create a fraction even of what these books do for me in somebody else. I noticed you, you mentioned uh, – you've listed him on Wattpad. you got Richard Matheson in there. Jack Ketchum, which is funny because that's who your, your writing reminds me of the most is Jack Ketchum. It's like practical oh, but just – yeah, it's, it's – well, it's, it's like you, you have this practical momentum. You don't st- – like Stephen King can tend to get bogged down in his own descriptions and his own um, – his own the character development. He just tells – sometimes he tells you too much. Jack Ketchum and, and uh, from what I've read of your stuff is, is very – it's streamlined, but you also there's some juice in there. Like you, 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 you'll give you every now and then you'll drop a line. It's just like, oh, that's that's a really good fucking line. Um, like so, I remember soft, soft as a shadow is, was something that it's in the the very beginning of poor things. It's a pra- it's a practical little thing, but it's in the moment there. It was just, it was a perfect description for what's going on. Um, so I mean, is there anybody else besides uh, Stephen King and 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 uh, that that sort of did that for you? Sure, I, I um. Well, thank you for the kind words. Um, sincerely, <laughs> really. <laughs> yeah, no problem. I, uh, there's a lot. You know, he's the, he's the one that kind of like, like I said, like clicked it into gear. Um, I have a lot of authors that I admire now. Stephen King, um, Matheson, of course. Ketchum was one. I mean, all the way down to like his last, The Secret Life of Souls. Brilliant. I, um, which is a shared, which is a co-authored book. Um, I'm a big fan of Joe Hill. I went through a huge Rams, uh, Ramsey Campbell phase. I, Clive Barker, somebody like enormous amount of um, influence for me. I mean, just just the the passion that he, he like brought to everything and his way with everything is just stunning. I a uh, huge fan of David Mitchell as well. Um, John Steinbeck, Shirley Jackson. You know, a lot of names on down the list. I'm, so a lot of the, a lot of mainstays there for uh, for you know uh, millennial uh, horror authors. Um, oh, absolutely! But uh, got to add actually to that list. I recently found one, Laird Barron. I'm reading the Croning right now, and y'all need to drop whatever you're doing and read this book. Yeah, that, that's that. actually that was gonna <laughs> that was gonna be my next question. Is what are you reading right now? So to, what is what the Croning is? It's called the the Croning. Yeah. It's um, C-R-O-N-I-N-G, and it is a cosmic horror novel. Um, oh, Peter Straub is another one. Cannot oh, yeah. Peter Straub. But um, it's a cosmic horror novel that I'm really just scratching the surface of right now, and I mean that in the best way possible, not just by, like, page length, but it's one of those books that feels like it holds, like, just, like, dark, oozing secrets, like, beyond time within, you know? I feel like there's just it's 300 pages but it feels 
like there's 800 pages between the lines, you know, it's just that kind of special, that kind of special. It's great. Uh-huh. I can't. Yeah. I'm blown away by it. Well, we'll check that one out. Uh, tell me about publishing on Wattpad because you've got like 141,000 views on Wattpad for poor things. And then you, you won the Wattie Awards last year. Uh, and I'm not quite sure how that works, like what the, if there's like genres, categories and things. But I know that it says Wattie's 2018 winner on poor things. So that must have been like a huge moment for you where you're like, oh, my God, like people are actually reading this and like I can do this basically. It's like out of 141,000 people – Surely there's someone who got that fraction of a feeling that I was looking to produce, you know, when I, uh, when I, when I, I set out to do this. So, I mean, just tell me about that and, and, and like, how did you first get started on Wattpad? Like, what was your, why did you even pick that website? So I, I had already had poor things available on, um, on Amazon for maybe a, you know, maybe a year or, or a couple of years before then. Um, it had been well received. I looked at Wattpad I, I'm, I'm somebody who, you know, I want to try to like new things. And I know that there's a lot of, um, there's a strong divide in the, the, the writing community between, you know, those who are okay with giving something away for free, you know, like, like what exposure necessarily like is worth. Uh, so I knew that what I was going to get from Wattpad wasn't necessarily going to be like directly like related to like a financial kind of boon. Um, but I also in my reading, um, think, you know, like the, the, the process of getting discovered, you know, there's, there's different ways to that. And I saw an opportunity to try something new there without, without any harm. I had already made poor things free on, on Amazon, um, permanently at the time. It's no longer, but I had made it free there to, you know, like kind of try to be, it felt like a good gateway book into my other stories. Um, some of which are a little denser, you know, mm-hmm. a little longer. Um, and I jumped onto Wattpad. Here's a, here's a writing community, um, with a lot of, you know, adolescents, like just hungry for, for reading on there and poor things is a book that's, I wouldn't, I wouldn't constitute it as, you know, a YA novel by any means. Um, some of the scenes in there are, you know, like there's, there's not shy about well, violence, certainly, or, you know, themes or whatever. Yeah, well, the, but, the novel um, opens with this family running over a deer that's been hit and is lying there uh, disemboweled on the side of the highway, and the dad has to run it over again to put it out of its misery because he doesn't have a gun yeah. or anything. So, I mean, there you go right there. Yeah, so, you know, it's got that, and it's kind of this book, I feel like Poor Things is this book that's um, sort of, it's just, like, chock full of, like, angry, kind of gasoline-fueled energy. Um, I mean, that's kind of the feeling that I have from it. It's got that loud, like, heavy metal kind of heartbeat kind of thing going on with it. And um, you have this character, Joel, who's suffering from, you know, like, trauma, like, physically and mentally and grief and guilt and it all manifests in this way that I think I mean to an extent you know and kind of an angst like kind of just like angsty (laughs) hopefully an earned angst uh, on his part at least he's been through enough to earn some angst I think but um I'll kind of manifest in this like like an energy that I, I thought you know maybe kids would identify a little bit uh 
with um, very kind of cathartic energy. Right, and Wattpad is all teenagers, pretty much. It's that's what it's known for. The whole joke about the Wattpad author being a teenage girl, you know, who wants to write romance novels, right? Yeah, no, this all all walks on Wattpad. There's there's quite a quite a deep community there, and so I, I gave it a shot. You know, I like got involved in the community. You know, entered some of those like little contests that people ran. It started getting a little bit of attention, um, which led it to getting a little bit more attention, like eventually from headquarters, um, got like a couple nice notes from them, you know, talk to them about this and that. And then, you know, got it, their algorithms crunched or like somebody put a good word in for it and got nominated for the Wadi. And I was lucky enough to get an award there at the end, which was definitely like, like you asked um, how that felt. And it was, it was really affirming. It was, it was awesome. I mean, I think you know, there's a lot of stories, a lot of great stories out there in Wattpad. Um, and so that was an exciting feeling. And it's, you know, since definitely caused the visibility of the story on the site to increase. And I've noticed just a lot of, a lot of people, you know, continuing to read it and people shooting me notes about it. And, um, you know, like it's like it's been a, a fun and friendly experience, and I've I've had some. Um, I got an email from a kid. I, I assume a kid I, in India a little while, you know, a couple months ago, talking about how he had read the book three times, and he just wanted like he didn't. He's like, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I can't stop <laughs> reading it. And I I love it, and I want to thank you, and things like that were just. I mean, you can't really like put words on how cool of a feeling it is to get that kind of you know, note from somebody from on the other side of the world, you know. Right, so, right. It's been a cool experience. Yeah, that's something that you don't even think about when you're you're doing it. You're just like you never thought that a kid from India would be the one and he and he just continues to read it like he said. That so that's that's why we do this, man. Is it's I mean you, people can say, Oh, I do this for myself as much as they want, but I mean everybody's hoping for an audience, so so there you go. Absolutely. Um, what are you working on now? Are you writing anything uh, that's that's uh, going to be coming out in the near future? Or? Yeah, I um, I'm working on like definitely what's going to be my biggest project to date. It's um, post-apocalyptic, cosmic, horror-flavored, um, like supernatural adventure, um, like across across an America that has seen some times or undergoing some time i'll be releasing it in installments and then releasing you know the whole first big book all together shortly after those installments come out i'm lucky enough to work with a couple i mean a couple really cool people on it um i hope i don't butcher his name he's italian and i don't you know don't speak italian but daniele sara is doing the cover art for all six of the like the first five volumes and then the collected edition when that comes out, he's just a wonderful talent. And I like so lucky to be able to work with him. I've got a, another author I greatly admire a man by the name of Mike Thorne, who's a you know, horror fiction author, film criticism works professionally as a copy editor. He's doing some of the copy editing for it. I'm really excited about this. I'm going to be coming out starting next May. Um, um, roughly, I'm guessing at that time. Do you have a title for it? It's oh, not. It, what's it called? 
Uh, it's going to be called Nightmare Land. Nightmare Land. Um, the first, and one of the reasons I'm releasing, I think that first part in May is also to give myself time to finish parts four and five because I'm three parts in and I don't want to, you know, rush myself with a uh, deadline. But uh, we're releasing it on the last morning of the May, on the last morning of May, because the first line of the book is. Uh, the whole series first line is tomorrow died on the last morning of May. Uh, so, and it sounds like, like your it sounds like your stand, man, based on what what you said about the plot. <laughs> so, I will make any claims to that, but I, I am having fun with it, and <laughs> I'm I'm hoping it. I'm hoping people like it, and I know I'm having fun writing it. Well, Nightmare Land, it comes out, and uh, you're aiming for May 2020, last week, of, last day of May um, of uh, 2020. So. Um, is there anything else that you want to uh, promote or um, anything? Uh, tell tell people where they can find your work. Oh, sure. I mean, I my stuff is out there on Amazon for anybody who wants to look. I've got four novels out there, uh, Poor Things, My Hungry Friend, uh, Long Grieve, um, and, well, and uh, The Safe. It's all, it's all there. That, that really covers the stuff I'd like to promote personally. There's definitely some people I really admire in the community who are doing really great things. And I like Laird Barron. I can't say enough about, I recently discovered SP Miskowski, uh, really, really talented author there too. I Actually will... Mike Thorne, um, who clued me onto her. Uh, definitely some really good stories out there. I know I'm forgetting a million of them. Well, you know, well, there's like, so much out there on, on Wattpad too. Like, I gotta ask, man. Like, cause, like I'm on Wattpad myself, and I'm trying to like get involved in the community. What's the best way to go about doing that? Like, how how would you recommend somebody who's who's got some stuff on there but isn't involved and isn't getting any views? Like, how how can I reach out to to people? And uh, oh, e- easy. Um, I'm not like not. I I would say. The surest way to do um, to to accomplish that, and the way that works for me, is to look up those stories in the area, like in the areas that you like, the stories that you like, and uh, read those stories, and give them like if you give like thoughtful comments to people, you know, like like discerning comments, um, you know, talk about you know what you like with something in like a way that's beyond the superficial. I found that there's quite a few people on Wattpad, uh, little cinnamon, um, is like the handle for a woman named Lindsay Clark. And she's a great friend of mine, really incredibly talented author. Uh, check out the whispering of, um, whispering, a, a bitter Creek. Uh, check out her stuff. Anyway, she's written Hito schism, but I've, in any case, I found out that if you, if you approach uh, these authors in a way that's not like, hey, read my story, but just really like actively engage with their work, um, chances are they're going to click on your stuff eventually and take a peek at it and, you know, chat with you. You know, like that's, that's something that I found like happened in like a pretty natural, organic way. A lot of really wonderful friends I've made there for sure. Right. Well, so be social then is, is basically, basically yeah. how you do it. So it's, it sounds like it worked out then though, man. Like you, you know, you said uh, in middle school, you're like, I got to stop reading so much and be social. And, and it turns out that the website that you 
end up having your first, you know, sort of taste of success on is one that requires you had to, you wouldn't have gotten there without all the reading and you wouldn't have gotten there without knowing how to be social either. So it, it so it worked yeah, out. <laughs> like you just, anywhere in life, you know, you just try to, yeah, not be a dick. Right. <laughs> yeah. Pretty simple. Dude. The show's called American Winer. I used to ask people what they want to whine about, and sooner, for some reason, almost all the con because people would whine about the state of the world and politics and things, and every single thing boiled down to don't be a dick. I, I've said that numerous times. So it's funny that we we came to this con- the same conclusion here. Um, tagline. Yeah, yeah. American Winer. Don't be a dick. I'm actually going to put that on the Facebook. I'm I'm dead serious. That's that's pretty. You should. That's that's pretty. That's a good tagline. Um, Absolutely. So, uh, so yeah, man, uh, Daniel Barnett, thanks so much for coming on. It's been great talking to you. We are at the top of the hour here, so I gotta, uh, I gotta cut this off. But, um, dude, Absolutely. we could do another hour, man. It's just on Stephen King alone. It sounds Easy. like. Uh, Easy. It was my pleasure. And before we get cut off, I want to thank you for reaching out to me. It meant a lot. I really appreciate that. And yeah, wish you, wish you all the success. Well, thanks, man. Likewise. Whatever you, whatever you do, man. I, 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 I follow you on Wattpad now, so I'll be keeping. I'll be around. I'll comment on on your stories and, uh, and, and you Cheers. know. We'll, we'll, uh, I'm not we'll quite as active on there as I as I once was, um, but I, I'm around. Uh, you you know how to get a hold of me if you ever if you ever want to. Well, dude, I actually would like to have you back on sometime. I I could I could get the other horror author back. I'm sure his name's Danger Slater, and uh and we could do a roundtable just talking about just just do an hour on Stephen King or whatever, just just horror oh. fiction. Oh, oh hell yeah! I actually know Danger Slater in real life. Oh no! Well, yeah, you're both live in Portland. That's right. How did you, how did that happen? Yeah, uh, we met at a we met at a book thing. Uh, we were selling our books at a book thing, and I his stuff looked cool, and he looked like a nice dude, and he he sure he sure is. So yeah, well, fucking a. So, well, he knows Josh Mallerman, who's from uh, Ferndale, uh, which is oh, yeah. I'm, I'm in Royal Oak, which is right next to Ferndale. So like literally right now, this Small studio. World. Yeah, it really is, man. Um, anyway, uh, so yeah, we'll, uh, we'll talk again, but, um, hang on the line. I'm going to, I'll give you a, a proper goodbye once we're off the air, but, uh, for everybody else, I will be back next week. I have another poet joining me, uh, Steve Pinkovich, who is, uh, uh does this, uh, thing out in, uh, out on the West, uh, end of Michigan called poetry. And it's, that's poetry, T-R-E-E, where he attaches poems to trees. And he actually, law enforcement, uh, recently contacted him. And, uh, and there was a bit of controversy with, uh, with him doing that. So I can't wait to talk to him about that. Um, we'll talk about his poetry as well, obviously. And uh, I will be back next week. So everybody have a great week. This has been American Weiner on podcastdetroit.com.